And I think that was what was so confusing to follow this case is you had different things playing out, but were affecting the same rules. For the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm Lucille Sherman. This is the second to last episode of the special 2020 elections edition of Domecast. Every week since September 7th, we've spotlighted a different North Carolina legislative or statewide race. This week, we're switching it up a bit. You may have heard about the election lawsuit making its way through the courts in North Carolina. The case challenges recently changed election rules and will now go to the U.S. Supreme Court. If you've been following this case, it's been a complicated and confusing last month and a half, but my colleague Danielle Battaglia has been watching it closely. Before we dive in, I have two quick corrections to make. In our episode about Senate District 31, I incorrectly stated Terry Legrand ran in Senate District 31 against Joyce Kravik in 2018. That's wrong. She ran in House District 74 against Deborah Conrad in 2018. Thanks to listener Liz Noland for the flag. Second thing is, on our latest episode and in some stories we reported, absentee ballots in North Carolina have to be postmarked by 5 p.m. on Election Day. That's wrong, sort of. Danielle, can you help us understand why that's wrong? Basically, so the 5 p.m. deadline is actually if you're taking your absentee mail-in ballots to a county office. But if you are mailing in your ballots, as long as it's postmarked on November 3rd, you are fine. It just needs to be marked that you submitted it by the 3rd. Okay, so does that mean as long as you take it to the post office by November 3rd, whenever your post office closes, you'll be okay? I think it means as long as they stamp it that it's been in by November 3rd, yes. So it sounds like maybe people should go physically go into the post office and make sure that it's been received? I would think so. Basically, if you put it in a mailbox, like your little standalone on the sidewalk mailbox, they are trying to flag those and get a stamp on them for you, but they don't automatically do that. So it's possible some could slip through the cracks. So my best bet would say take it into the post office, make sure they put the stamp on it, or take it to your county board of elections offices by five o'clock, and you should be good. I learned from this era that post offices don't close at the same time, so check your local post office times before you plan on when to go. Some close at 4.30, some close at like 6.45, so. This is very good information. I actually dropped my absentee ballot off at an early voting site today, so I don't have to worry about this, but I did have a lot of questions. Okay, so now that we've gotten our errors out of the way, Danielle, you've been covering this lawsuit pretty closely. Can you tell me when all of these issues started and what prompted this lawsuit? So the issues have been going on for a while, but I think when it became evident to North Carolinians and probably nationally as well, because I've seen a lot of national media pick up on this, was when two Board of Elections members resigned over a settlement that they had agreed to. And that settlement basically changed three of North Carolina's election rules And Judge Brian Collins had accepted it, I want to say, on October 3rd. Um, And as, 
you know, lawmakers were finding out about the settlement agreement, they realized that it basically usurped their legislative authority to set election rules. And so I know the Republican Party has said they had some very strong words towards the two Republican members of the Board of Elections. Our Board of Elections is made up of three Democrats, two Republicans, and the two Republicans had agreed to accept this settlement agreement. And so that's kind of where you started seeing all the tension come in. And you started covering this after you got a tip about one of the members who resigned, right? What what was that tip? The tip was that the Republican Party had forced him to resign. His wife had posted on Facebook that somebody from the Republican Party had called and told him he had to resign after accepting this settlement agreement. And, you know, I talked with the member. Sure enough, his wife had posted this. He wouldn't comment one way or another on whether he felt that he was forced off, except saying that no one could really force him to resign. He gets to hold that office as long as his term's there. He also didn't realize how long his term was. And so I think I think part of it was he was ready. And then there was apparently some angry words spoken about the settlement. So you've been covering this since then. And what happened after the board voted to change those rules? So basically, and let me get back to what the rule changes were. So there's one that I'm just going to not even mention because it never amounted to anything. And it's a little convoluted and confusing and people have different sides to what it actually was. But the two major ones that we're hearing about is that witness signatures wouldn't be required. If you mailed an absentee ballot without a witness signature, you could sign an affidavit saying that it is in fact your vote, which goes against North Carolina election rules. We had required two witness signatures on a mailed-in absentee ballot before the short session this year. And then lawmakers realized, you know, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Some of the rules needed to be adjusted to help with making sure we don't spread the virus by voting. And so they reduced it down to one witness signature. And then the other rule was you have three days to accept a ballot once it's turned in by election day. So if you turn it in, a mailed-in ballot on November 3rd, the Board of Elections can continue accepting it through November 6th. Well, the settlement agreement made it another six days. So it was November 12th that they would accept the ballots until. And so basically, Senate Leader Phil Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore, they basically asked for a federal judge to intervene and say what the state judge did basically usurp their authority. The U.S. Constitution gives legislative authority to lawmakers to set the rules for the election. And so there, there are some things in the laws that are written that says like during a state of emergency, which we technically are in, there's other methods that could be used, like the election board can start changing things. And so different judges were applying that different ways. But Berger and Moore ultimately went to this judge and said, this isn't okay. Judge Dever, who's one of our federal judges, put a restraining order on the Board of Elections from going forward with that and then sent their lawsuit over to Judge Osteen in the Middle District, which is like the Greensboro, Winston-Salem area, who had another federal lawsuit already in place that he was dealing with on the same topic. And he ended up ruling on that. So something that's really confused me as someone who doesn't cover courts a lot is 
this case has made its way through state and federal courts. It's sort of ping-ponged back and forth between the two. Why has it done that exactly? Well, as somebody who has covered federal and state courts for 10 years, I will say like this entire process has been confusing, I think, to a lot of people. The lawsuits in federal court dealt with federal laws. So there's federal laws that govern you know, us nationally and then state laws. So what was in Judge Collins's court, he's a state judge, dealt with all the state issues and like doesn't mess with the state constitution and all our state laws where Judge Osteen was looking at the federal laws. I need to step back and say that the lawsuits weren't really over the settlement, but they were looking at whether federal laws were being violated or violating people's rights to vote in the midst of a pandemic. The U.S. Constitution gives the House and the Senate the right to set the rules for North Carolina's law. And so ultimately, one of the judges said that usurping their authority by changing the rules but not including them violated the U.S. Constitution or could violate the Constitution. I think there was some back and forth on that, too. So there was a lot of a lot of balls in the air trying to figure out different matters. But that's the crux of it is we were looking at both federal and state laws. What I think is a little confusing is I don't think I've seen a federal judge and a state judge reacting to each other the way I've seen in this. Like normally, Judge Collins' ruling would not matter to Judge Osteen. It would go to the Court of Appeals in North Carolina, where Judge Osteen's ruling would go to the U.S. Court of Appeals, which ultimately happened. But it was interesting to see the dynamic of the two judges checking each other's rulings, changing the rules. They did not agree with each other. And so you were seeing like, yes, you can extend the deadline or no, you can't extend the deadline or yes, you can have a witness signature. No, you can't have a witness signature. And I think that was what was so confusing to follow this case is you had different things playing out, but were affecting the same rules. The rules just felt like they were constantly changing for a few weeks. And really kind of still are (laughs) or could. Yeah, they could. No, that's a hundred percent correct. I mean, I would, I would literally get off work one minute and think that we had a set of rules and then two hours later, get called it back to work to figure out what the new rules are. They, and and it was like, I want to say over a two or three week period, they were just constantly revolving. Okay. So back to the original rule changes. So first there was you if you didn't sign your absentee ballot there was basically a loophole for you to be able to not have to sign it and you could sign an affidavit saying yes that was me i signed it that was the first rule change right yes yes and then the second rule change was before september the current rules were ballots received until november 6th could be counted as long as they were postmarked on november 3rd right yes And this rule changed it to say ballots received until November 12th could be counted, again, as long as they were postmarked November 3rd. You couldn't put your ballot in the mail November 9th, and it still be counted November 12th. The overarching concern, in my understanding, is the safety of voting during the pandemic. And every election, I think, it's it's pretty common to see lawsuits filed challenging different things. This isn't uncommon. I think one of the judges in the U.S. Court of Appeals said this is something that you're seeing across America. It's been building a lot over the years. I don't know how many challenges I've seen in the courts since I started reporting 
like have taken, I mean, there's been so many board of elections lawsuits that have just been going on for most of my career now. So this isn't like an uncommon thing and it's not really uncommon. You just have the global pandemic as part of it now. So now we are days away from the election. And where does this stand now? If the election was tomorrow, what would the rules be? So if the election was tomorrow, the Board of Elections will accept ballots through November 12th with the postmark of November 3rd. And I feel like we keep saying that without the caveat of that is mailed in ballots. So I just want to stress that you need to go cast your ballot in person by November 3rd, no matter what. And and technically all ballots have to be done by November 3rd, no matter what. It's just the dates the Board of Elections will accept it, and that is going to be on November 12th. The only thing still up in the air is the U.S. Supreme Court and what they're going to do. Basically, this has gone from the Court of Appeals now to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's the highest court in the United States, and there's a judicial panel there that has to decide whether we are going to move forward with the November 12th date or if they're going to set it back to November 6th. And I believe as of today, we're nine days out from the election. So that decision needs to come fairly quickly. I do believe there was a request for that to be rushed. And I think we could see that in the coming days. As the reporter who's covered this most diligently in our newsroom, is there anything else you think people need to know or be thinking about as they're watching this case move forward or, you know, thinking about these rules ahead of the election? I would say one that the rule change that's still lingering really won't affect voters in what they do. I would, I would say on top of that though, because we don't know what date they'll accept it through. I mean, we're probably past the point of when you want to mail your ballots. I think there, there's still a couple days that you're fine but I I would find alternative methods, whether that's giving it to the county board of elections or, you know, like what you did today or voting in person if you are safe to do that. But that's not to take away from you still have the right to mail in your ballot and you just need to be mindful of the postal service. And I would get it in as soon as possible. And then I would also watch really carefully to what's going on with the Supreme Court. I think a lot of things are being said on both sides of the aisle that I feel like there's a lot of emotions at play, a lot of different things at play. This has been so confusing, even just reporting on it. I can't imagine being a reader who is skimming through an article. So I would pay a lot of attention and just know what is happening and how it's affecting North Carolina's elections and think critically and Don't let people who have read headlines sway your opinion on what's actually going on. Like, do the research for yourself because it has been very complex and very complicated. And I think it's important to stay educated on what's going on. I mean, this is one that I think it's important. I think even after November 3rd, we're probably going to be hearing a lot nationally about North Carolina's election just because we're kind of a political powerhouse anyways, we're a swing state, there's a lot going into it. And just not even knowing how long we're accepting ballots, I think could play out nationally. So I think it's really important to know prior to that happening, what's actually going on here. Yeah. I'll say one more thing, which is the last day to request an absentee ballot is October 27th, 
which is one week before the election. The State Board of Elections has encouraged people to request absentee ballots before then because that's a short turnaround time for the Board of Elections to receive your application and send out a ballot. So if you haven't already done that, do that now. And like Danielle said, cast your ballot as soon as you can. And the North Carolina State Board of Elections actually recently created a portal where you can track your ballot, which makes things a lot easier and you can keep an eye on it and even know when your ballot has been accepted after you you mail it back in. Danielle, anything else? Go vote. Don't let this stop you from voting. Go cast your vote. It's really important. And, you know, people will tell you that it's one vote and it doesn't matter, but it really, really does. It's really important. Thanks so much, Danielle. Thank you. We'll be right back after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's Monday, October 26th. There are eight days until the general election. As of Sunday morning at 5 a.m., more than 3.1 million North Carolinians have cast their ballots. And the campaign visits from candidates and their surrogates have not slowed. Eric Trump, Ivanka Trump, Karen Pence, Vice President Mike Pence, and President Trump, along with Kamala Harris's husband, Doug Imhoff, have all made stops in North Carolina the past few days or will in the coming days. The News & Observer has been covering as many of these visits as possible. Head to newsobserver.com to read more about them. We'll see you next week.